This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 10th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Twenty years ago today, the Supreme Court decided Wren v. United States. In that case, the court found that police can stop you for pretty much any articulable moving violation. The result has been profiling of all kinds, particularly racial profiling. Jonathan Blanks, managing editor of policemisconduct.net, describes how that profiling harms police legitimacy. What did this Wren case decided the 20 years ago this month? What did that case establish? Wren clarified the Supreme Court's position that so long as there was an articulable reason to pull a driver over, that any stop was permissible. So if a police officer decides that someone in a Camry looks suspicious in a neighborhood, they can follow that person and wait until they break one of the myriad traffic laws and pull them over to further investigate. Okay, so this is uh, your taillights out, uh, you rolled through that stop sign, you uh, were swerving in and out of lanes, you did something improper that is a moving violation. Absolutely. Any of those can, can be uh, a reason, a legitimate reason to stop a motorist. Absolutely. And then from that point, uh, the police officers go to various extent to try and search the vehicle for contraband, be it guns, drugs, uh, weapons. Mind if I look in the trunk? Mind if I look in the trunk? Do you mind if I you know, poke around your car? Do you, you know, And... So, unfortunately, the police have very often used lies and other tricks to try and get people to get consent. But, of course, if they don't have reason to search your car, they are lying to a presumptively innocent person. And that sort of flips the entire idea of police officers protecting and serving the public. Okay. So, just to be clear, the point at which the police officer says, mind if I look in the trunk, is the point at which you're free to go. Right. And that, that's pretty well established. Um, and most people who are stopped by a cop will say, look, I just, hey, dude, whatever you want, just, and even people who have drugs in the car often consent <laughs> to police officers searching their trunk or their back seat or uh, poking around. What has been the result of that case uh, now 20 years later that there's this fuzzy line that to a constitutional law professor and people who are very well acquainted with what their rights are might understand, but the average person might not really appreciate. Well, basically, it legalized racial profiling. So now a police officer can look at any driver and just wait for them to mess up and use that as a reason to search them, basically criminalizing people looking suspicious, looking weird, out of place. And so what this has done is it has eroded uh, a lot of trust, particularly in the black community, because they, uh, their studies show that they are overwhelmingly pulled over for these pretextual stops much more often than whites or others. And while we know our rights, that we are, f- are free to go after the original reason for the stop is explained and taken care of either with a ticket or a warning or whatever. A lot of people don't feel that they can say no. So this this voluntary consent that police officers try to get from a driver doesn't really exist in many communities because a lot of times they'll ask people to step out of the car and they'll handcuff them while they call for a canine dog or something along those lines. Or they feel that particularly black community who has borne the brunt of much police violence over the years will will give consent just 
so they don't cause trouble. I, there was just uh, a piece written recently in the Baltimore City paper by one of their public defenders about a man who refused a search uh, of his home uh, to a police officer, and he was drug off his porch and arrested and charged with disorderly conduct. The charge was eventually dropped, but he was still arrested for standing up for his rights. So we have the sort of these rights in theory that we all know that or believe that we have, and then the rights in practice when police officers will go further than the law permits them and abuse people. So this illusion of this this consent seems more of an illusion. I think it's well established, and, and maybe you have more information than I do about this, that cops can lie to you. The cops can lie to you under certain circumstances. The, the courts have ruled that so long as they do not deprive you of a substantive right, that they can that they can lie to you. Um, but the problem is, is like very often that when they're lying to you, they're lying to you in an interrogation. You know, that you're already clearly a suspect. You know that this, this interview is antagonistic. And so you understand that the trust that's supposed to be there between you and the police officer isn't there, that they are, they are looking to get information out of you. Whereas if you're just a motorist driving down the street, you haven't done anything wrong. There is no reason that the police officer should treat you like a criminal, as it were. And I think this is a, this case, uh, Wren and others like it, like Terry, that enabled the stop and frisk, as we saw in New York City, have just you know run rampant all over people's rights. The arguments that a lot of uh, cops have made uh, in favor of, look, we go out there every day, we risk our lives, we you know, all these things that, that are not on their face uh, crazy. They, may, they make a lot of sense, quite frankly. But uh, this issue of police legitimacy speaks directly to uh, the antagonism that should not exist between cops and people. Uh, a legitimate police force will have cooperation from the public when someone's house gets broken into neighbors can say, oh, I saw this, or oh, I saw that. But in many communities, particularly in black communities in the United States, you have people that won't cooperate in a shooting, shooting victims, dying, telling the police officers, they won't, refusing to tell the police officers who shot them. This is a broken relationship in many of these communities. And what it does is effectively makes these communities less safe, because if no one's willing to cooperate in a murder, then murderers essentially go free. They criminals have free reign in these in these communities and there's nothing done about it. And so it's imperative for the police officers to go back into the communities and develop relationships positive relationships with the communities so they can get that cooperation back. They can earn that trust back to make those communities safer. Aggressive, antagonistic policing that treats everyone in a neighborhood like a criminal isn't the way to go about it. Jonathan Blanks is managing editor of policemisconduct.net. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>